0: This is TSFPN.com, the sci-fi podcast network. You've found the best podcasts in the universe. It's Sunday, February 5th, and you're listening to The Secrets. Welcome to this podcast of The Secrets, the podcast for anyone who is serious about writing. The Secrets Home can be found at www.strongwolf.com. For the next 15 minutes, we'll talk about writing and how to get you even closer to seeing your name on the spine of a book. Welcome to this 14th special edition of The Secrets. I'd intended to get back on a schedule with the podcast, but when I said I'd found a fix for a computer problem, I was a bit premature. It turns out that my computer needed a new power supply and logic board. With any luck, the problems are over, but we'll see. If you're hearing this, I've found a workaround and or the repairs worked. I'm Michael A. Stackpole, a science fiction and fantasy novelist, an editor, game and computer game designer, who will be heading to defensive driving school later this month, so you'll be safe on the streets again. I've had 38 books published, and eight of those hit the New York Times bestseller list. A Secret Atlas came out in mass-market paperback earlier last week, and its sequel, Cartomancy, will hit the stores in trade paperback at the end of February. The Secrets Podcast is an audio companion to my writing newsletter, which is also called The Secrets. You can learn more about the newsletter on my homepage at www.stormwolf.com. Download the sample issues and decide if it's worth a dollar an issue to focus your writing on success. Back issues are also available, and the Hurricane Katrina relief package deal is still running. Most writers hear a variation of a comment with fair regularity. It's this. Oh, you must be so creative to be a writer. Speaker usually follows with an explanation that they're not creative and have no imagination whatsoever. Then they get around to asking the big question, where do you get your ideas? Among writers it is a glib answer that we've had for years. We smile and reply, Well, there's this newsletter out of Poughkeepsie that comes out each month just full of ideas. The person standing there doesn't know whether or not to laugh or nod or ask for the address and how they can subscribe. And if the writer's nice he lets them know that it's a joke the fact is that it would be a lot easier if there was a place where you could get ideas sent to you at least when you're starting in the beginning we all look for killer ideas not realizing that such inspiration is a minor part of what writing is all about as my friend bob varderman has noted writing is where you stare at the keyboard until beads of blood appear on your forehead it's quite true The hard work is not in finding the ideas, but in figuring out what to do with them once you have them. These are two aspects of things I want to cover in this podcast, where ideas come from and how you can take anything and make multiple variations out of it. In doing this, I'll give away some ideas and you're free to use them. I'd prefer you use the techniques that generate those ideas, but if either one gets you to write, then we're pulling in the same direction. First though, I have to deal with another question that writers get all the time. People ask, aren't you afraid of running out of ideas? Absolutely not. Once you start writing, you end up having so many ideas that you'll never be able to use them all. One of the saddest things, in fact, is to come up with a great idea for a story that you're not good enough to pull off. And then when you finally get back to it, you realize the idea really is not good enough for you to write. You've moved past it, which is kind of bittersweet, but you can always savage part of it for a new project, which I do fairly often. For this same reason, I don't fear someone stealing my ideas. Chances are they won't do with them what I would, and again, there are so many of them that I can find more and better without really breaking a sweat. Who cares if someone takes a grain of sand off your beach? So, where do writers get their ideas? First and foremost, writers get them from life experience. This is one of the reasons writers are often told to write what you know. In the science fiction game, that's kind of tough, but when you strip away all the trappings, You're writing about people, how they handle problems, and how they grow from those experiences. We all should have a bit of insight on that, and it's that insight that we use in writing. Whether it's something you've gone through yourself or experiences you've seen in others or read about or even imagined, this is what you write about. Better yet, once you get into the mode of being reflective, you can turn almost any situation into fodder for a story. Here's a true example. I was in an airport and listened to a guy speaking rather loudly on his cell phone. He was using all the romance words, you know, baby, honey, I'd like that, can't wait, ditto baby, and so on. It was kind of nauseating. We've all heard it a billion times before and probably know more about other people's love lives than we actually want to. You know, because it's so common, I didn't think anything more about it until, by chance, this guy ends up sitting next to me on the plane. As we chat during the flight, I learn he's married, has a couple of kids. He also mentions a female co-worker with whom he'd been speaking before the flight, but he assured me they were just friends. Guilty, perhaps? I don't know. For the writer, however, that doesn't matter. The story possibilities are endless. I'm a stranger who's got reason to suspect this guy's having an affair. How tough would it be to exchange cards with him, track him back home, get blackmail pictures, and be earning some money off of him? The blackmailer's angle is just one way to shoot the story, But it could be shot from the victim's point of view, from his wife's point of view, from his lover's point of view, or all of them. All of a sudden, there's a novel there, and it could absolutely rock. Moreover, pulling science fiction or fantasy variants out of it would be simple. You just key in on the modes of communication and how it could produce clues to behavior needed. Even a Western works by having someone who understands Morse code listening in at the telegraph office as messages come in or go out. Of course, that presupposes some knowledge of telegraphs and Morse code, but that's where research comes in. I've hit on research a lot in the Secrets podcasts and in the newsletters. Research is really the mother load when it comes to ideas. I just started reading a monograph on opium clippers used in the 1840s running opium from India to China. I started reading it because it was written by a distant relative, but the fact is it's chock full of details that I can use. At the base bottom line, it talks about how fast the ships were and rivalries among ships and captains and shipping companies and nations. Punching that into a fantasy world or science fiction would be simple. And doing a historical novel touching on this little-known subject would be really interesting. Another place we get ideas is from remarks and challenges and story solicitations. I recall being on the phone with another writer, my friend Dennis McKiernan, and we were talking about how we would both just had novels come out that started very slowly. Dennis commented that it would be nice if there was a way that we could force readers to stick with a book long enough to get through the tough parts. I agreed and considered for a second what we could use to force them to do that. I mean, a gun was one thing, but we thought that was impractical. The answer I got shaped itself into a story called Absolutely Charming, which is in my anthology, Perchance to Dream, and is available in podcast form as well. By the way, that story was originally published in Amazing Stories. Kim Mohan was the editor at the time. I'd sent the story off to him. I've known Kim for years. I saw him at a convention and he apologized for not having gotten back to me on the story yet. I said that was cool. But I told him what you should do is wait until the end of a day when you've just been reading slush and you've been rejecting stories and that's when you should read that story. Kim kind of stared at me for a second then said, okay. He was thinking, "I'm, I'm fairly certain that such a situation is really the worst circumstance for reading a story but if I wanted the court disaster, I was welcome to. And about a month later, I got a letter and a contract. He said it had been the perfect time to read the story and he wanted it. See, I knew the story would be a hit under those circumstances because in it is the rejection letter every editor wishes he could write.
1: Knowing your market
0: and knowing what it's like to be an editor can count for a lot. Here's another kind of challenge situation. While I was working on the first Dragon Crown War book, I got to thinking that I never tend to do the sort of dynastic houses marrying houses, folks sneaking around, bastards being born kind of books that other writers do. I was at the gym at the time, waiting for a basketball game to get organized. All of a sudden, it struck me that I could put that sort of element into the Dark Glory War. I looked at it as a challenge to myself to do something I would not done before. So I did it and stretched it out through all three books, actually all four books. It was fun and added levels to the books that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Also in the Dragon Crown War books, I got a weird sort of spark, one coming totally by chance. I was chatting online with a friend, and she typoed the word promise by putting an O as the first letter. I liked the look of the word and decided that it had to be pronounced Oromize. It bounced around in the back of my head, and as the final book shaped itself up, I found a use for it, which deepened the world and the conflict, and likely will play an important part in future books set in that world. Challenges are fun to handle when it comes to turning out a story. Once some friends were having a Christmas party, and since they were tied into theater groups, they all required everyone to perform something as part of the evening's entertainment. I decided that meant I had to write a story, which was a cool idea. Having been raised Catholic, I turned out a fourth wise man story called The Final Gift. It wasn't really terribly Christmassy, but what can you do? It's in the anthology Perchance to Dream as well, and was first published in Amazing Stories after Dennis McKiernan mentioned it in passing to the editor. I always thought the story was most likely to get me excommunicated, but I guess the Vatican has better things to do these days. Fairly often challenges come in the form of solicitations for anthologies. An editor will shoot out a letter asking for stories for a specific length dealing with a particular subject. When I get such a letter, I read it over and wait to see if any idea strikes me immediately. If I don't have any brilliant idea burst into my brain, and this is by far the usual case, that no idea bursts into my brain, then I think about the various worlds I have created in the past and whether or not the anthology idea would support a Bloodstone story or or a Purgatory Station story or something set in the world of one of my novels. Usually that will produce something because I know enough of the world and the characters to see how they'd wrestle with the tale. Doing that has the added advantage of producing work that may already have a readership looking for it. When neither of those things work, I begin to think about what sort of world would be required to handle such a story. For example, if the anthology requires a murder to be at the core of the story, then you know folks can die, and you can assume that violence done to another person is a crime. Moreover, there is some sense of justice that requires the killer being unmasked. These scenes seem obvious. But once you realize these are the criteria and assumptions you're playing with as automatic, you get to manipulate them. As I've noted before, changing things takes energy. And when you put energy into any situation, new possibilities explode. Years ago, I was invited to contribute to an anthology called Superheroes. This was early in my career. I was really nervous. It was being edited by John Varley. And I really, really wanted a story that kicked some serious butt. I had a character called Revenant about whom I'd written some stories, so I wanted to use him for the anthology. Revenant was is a Batman-esque character with big doses of the shadow tossed in. My friend Aaron Williams is using Revenant in his comic book, PS238, which you can find at ps238.com, which you should really check out. Aaron does a great job with him. When I was writing the anthology story, however, I was not doing a great job. I wrote one story, but it was definitely a C-minus. A second story was maybe a C C+. Neither was good enough. Revenant stories had to be dark and nasty. He had to work alone. The tone had to be grim. And even though one of the stories had him using a Geraldo-like reporter as bait for a serial killer, things were just not clicking. I just wasn't happy. Well, as it turns out, many years ago, I bought a monograph by a guy who used to design products. You know, household things that you probably see advertised on infomercials now i tell you his name, uh, but it and the monograph have long since been lost. The most important thing in his monograph, and worth every cent I paid for it, which was quite a lot back then, was simple. He said you could take any existing product, and if you stood it on its head, swapped black for white, or turned it inside out, you'd have something brand new and novel. And, rather obviously, if you take that product and do other variations to it, this production of new things is endless. How did that work for storytelling in the Revenant story? Well, his stories had to be dark, so I made this one into a comedy. Revenant always worked alone, so I gave him a sidekick and had him interacting with a whole group of superheroes. The stories usually were violent, and while there's some violence in this story, nobody dies or is even really banged up that badly. All of a sudden, by looking at things differently and by challenging myself to do things differently, I had an entirely different story. Because stories are all about characters, one of the coolest things you can do is to put characters in a situation that do not play to their strength. Heroes don't become heroes because they stroll through a series of simple situations, after all. They're challenged, and they rise to the challenge, no matter what it is. The resulting story is called Peer Review, and it also appears in Perchance to Dream. It's one of my favorite stories, and it's the story Aaron Williams read before deciding to use Revenant in his comics. And, curiously enough, one of the letters to the editor, when Revenant showed up in the comic, recalled the story from the anthology Superheroes, even though a good 15 years had passed since its publication. One other place I get ideas from, uh, is from what I've read in the course of everyday life. For example, on June 22, 2005, the Arizona Republic ran a story with the title, Abducted Ethiopian Girl, 12, Found Guarded by Lions, Authorities Say. Nice title. The story was from the Associated Press, and in it we're told that a 12-year-old girl had been abducted to be forced into a marriage. She'd been missing for a week and had been beaten by her captors. At some point, she got away from them, and a group of lions protected her for roughly half a day, keeping her captors away until authorities could rescue her. At that point, we're told, the lions just up and left her, returning to the forest. That's pretty cool stuff, whether or not it's anything more than a fable. Obviously, this story could be transplanted almost word for word into a fantasy or science fiction story. How many fantasy novels are there where young women have magical connections with mighty predators? If you wanted it to be science fiction, a child wanders away from the colony and is rescued by alien creatures native to the planet, perhaps causing folks to wonder if they're sapient or not. Their variations there are endless. Now, how do the ideas that I mentioned about swapping things around work with this story? Well, let's see, it would be possible, I suppose, to have a lion protected by a bunch of schoolgirls from a convent. That's kind of simple and direct, though. If we reduce the story to its basic element, you have the protection of innocence by monsters. And then if we reduce, we reverse that, we have innocence protecting a monster, and that pretty much comes down to a dictator using human shields to protect himself. You could also apply that to a Patty Hearst uh, Stockholm Syndrome story, where an innocent comes to identify with the monsters you could also shift things around to where an innocent woman is protected by monsters and the monsters won't release her until someone comes forward who will protect her as well as they have they could set a series of challenge for her would be rescuers and thereby spark a whole series of stories moreover if one of the monsters was to accompany the rescuer to verify what he's done you develop an interesting dynamic there And that's just writing the story from a human point of view. Imagine the possibilities if you're writing from the lion's point of view. This kind of goes beyond endless, doesn't it? I'm sure all of you can find plenty of different variations here and that ultimately, that's where writers get their ideas. Just think about the number of anthologies you've seen with themes where all the stories address that particular idea and yet all the stories are different. Each writer brings to an idea the whole of his experience. And what's going to be different is... Literally, that life experience, it'll make his story unique from everyone else's. I will confess, this is why I really have little patience for folks who say there are only two or five or ten stories in the world. That's kind of like saying there are only two or five or ten body types for human beings. Therefore, every human being is going to be just like every other human being. Ridiculous. Ultimately, it's not important where you get the ideas. It's what you do with them that counts. Take the ideas, twist them up tight, write them as best you can and the story will be uniquely yours. Keep doing that, submit and sell them, and soon folks will be asking you where you get your ideas. And remember, it's a post office box in Poughkeepsie. This is Michael A. Stackpole for The Secrets. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit www.stormwolf.com to get your sample issues of The Secrets. Issue 45, with a discussion on how you pace stories, came out on February 1st. Please remember that A Secret Atlas went on sale at the end of January in mass market, and the sequel, Cartomancy, will appear later this month. The podcast also has discussion forums at www.tsfpn.com. Please feel free to come over there, ask questions, and participate in the discussions about writing. I'm not sure what the next podcast will cover. I'll think of something. Uh, If you hit the forum and make suggestions, however, you may be able to help me in that area. And that way, I'll help you. This podcast is copyright 2006 by Michael A. Stackpole. I'll be back in a week or so, uh, computer repairs holding up and all, uh, with more about working with words. Until then, good luck with your writing.